other. <clears throat> We're all here, bringing their brothers and sisters. Father, thank you for each one on this carpet and our friends that we know. And we pray, Father, for such a sense of your love in our hearts, filling our hearts, filling our hearts today. And Father, I pray that be such a presence that you give to us, you give like no one else, that that will be given to our friends as well, that they would see our love, see it the way we love one another. So we just speak a blessing over this time, a blessing your kindness, your goodness, to gather these hearts and to train them and lead them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, kids, you're going to go out with Miss Laura and the team. <laughs> and Renee with the teenagers, I think. Is that right? Yes, Renee's waving. If you're a teenager or you would like to be, <laughs> go out with Renee. They have an impartation for teenageness. <laughs> Some of you are shaking your heads. You don't want that impartation back yet. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to go ahead and pass the baskets for our tithes and offerings this morning. Um, can I pass one there? And I'll take one over this way. Thank you. Uh, there are envelopes on the tables if you're giving cash and you need a receipt. Uh, otherwise, you can write a check to Catch the Fire Myrtle Beach or you can text a dollar amount to 84321. Uh, many of you give uh, by those means through the, uh, through the website or... Um, uh, online in that way. Thank you for doing that as well. Uh, Tina, can I ask you to come on up? Tina's got a beautiful testimony of what God has been doing, and uh, we're going to hear that next, and then we'll hear from Chris and Lizette after that. Thank you. Um, I'm so excited. I would like to ask um, the, the ladies that prayed over me to come up with me. Um, I have a healing testimony, um, <laughs> but anyway... Um, I, I have been struggling with um, my health and fear. And we got together, and some ladies prayed for me, and God just showed up and moved, and it was so incredible. I went to the doctors two weeks before that, and he said that my emphysema in my lungs sounded terrible. And I went back after that prayer, and he said, your lungs are clear. Yeah. Praise God. I um, just so much happened, and this is just a testimony for when people get together and pray, because there was just bondage that came off, disappointment that came off, and um, I, help me, Lord, <laughs> um, I, I just was carrying disappointment from some friends um, that had passed away, and that grabbed me, and that fear grabbed me, and I was believing the lies of the enemy. That I and not the Lord, and I was I I thought I had it I I was done, and praise God that was a lie from the pits of hell, and praise God that I am going to live and not die, and praise God that everything on that list that we prayed for I had I had all these different things nerve pain pain in my head I couldn't breathe my voice was weak, and it all changed. Um, um, I just, I am so, so grateful. 
and um, I'm so grateful for this church, for the presence in here today and every week, and just the power of, of the bond that we have. So thank you, and I, I think Sherry wanted to say something, but by the end of that prayer, we were jumping around, Holy Spirit, <laughs> and um, it was freedom. Okay, I just wanted to make an announcement. Jane and I had talked about, I didn't ask Mark if I could do this, but it's the perfect time. So we had started in the mountains when um, a couple of us went to see Jane, Jan, and she was really sick. And we went to spiritual warfare, and she was, by the next morning she was well. And then we prayed over somebody on a Wednesday here, and then we met a few of us for Tina. And then it's just going, it's what we're supposed to do. So we're on every other Tuesday night, starting this Tuesday night, we are going to meet any women that want to come. We are going to be soaking, praying in tongues, and going after whatever needs to be gone after, whether it's for each other, for the church, for the community. But it's time we stick together in prayer and we intercede because we've been seeing powerful things in just the last two or three weeks, and it just came because she was sick and she needed prayer. But we spoke into each other's lives first. We prophesied into each other to encourage each other, break things off. And then we went to the spiritual realm, and we were able to fight because we are warriors, but we need, we need to stick together. We need to lift each other up. We need to build each other up. When we prayed for Tina that night, after we soaked, they, she got all this powerful stuff in her. I got one word, like always, flash. And the Lord said, you saw the end before the beginning. I saw Flash Gordon, and at the end she was running like Flash Gordon back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I'm not kidding, she was. And, but the thing is, we need to see the end before the beginning. We need to see, the Lord saw the end. He didn't just make it as he goes. He saw the end before the beginning. We need to see the end. We need to trust the Lord. We need to speak into it. So women, Tuesday night, seven o'clock here, anybody that wants to join in, it'll be every other Tuesday. So men, I'm sorry, but we may include you eventually. <laughs> Thank you. Wonderful. Whoa. Hallelujah. Um, so when she said I was sick, it wasn't like I had the flu or I had a cold or I had COVID. Um, I have scar tissue in, in my um, body because I've had a lot of surgeries. Um, and the enemy has tried several times to take my life. Like, he, he's on assignment to take my life. And it's not just me, but, but this is this something that has been, especially over the last, I don't know, 10 years. But so I've had, like, 15 surgeries and whatnot. And so my body is just like, you know, like a roadmap, um, like, you know, just full of scars. But so I, I, I ate something, and I don't know why I did. I still don't know why, but I think... To God be the glory. That's all I want to say is God was glorified in all of it. So I'm so glad it happened because it was something that we needed to see that we have power and authority over the enemy. And so what had happened is I had a dream before this about a, a big snake. And it had eaten a baby. And I could see the baby inside. And the baby was swimming around with big blue eyes and eyelashes. And, it, and I don't dream. So this, is, this was like something that really just kept on you know, I was ruminating on it. I'm like, okay, this means something. I know it does. And this big python snake, it was huge. And the baby was inside, and I just had this resolve, like, I'm going to save the baby. And the mother was kind of like, well, I don't know, you know, and, and I bet I could see that it was alive. So then I 
come up to the mountains and I eat this dumb apple, which, you know, like Eve, I eat the apple. And um, so the, the skin and stuff blocked my, my whole insides. So I had a full GI blockage. I mean, no doubt about it. And so in the natural, I should have gone to the hospital and had surgery. But in the supernatural, God had different plans. So these women rose up. They killed the snake. They took authority over the enemy. And I'm healed. I, I was like, to it totally passed. So I, I just wanted that. I wanted that because because it's it's one thing like you know you're just praying and it's a little thing but like this was this was an assignment from the enemy to kill me to take my life, and because my sisters know their authority and because they stood with me because I was too sick to kind of pray for myself. I was way too sick. They so these these women are prayer warriors. And I just want to add to those that don't know Tina, uh, she was on an oxygen tank, I mean, for months and months, I mean, long, long time. So after we got through praying, she took the oxygen tank off and ran. <laughs> and immediately we heard her voice change and her countenance change, and that's what the doctor confirmed when she went to the doctor this week. I want to share, real brief, I heard this morning the word wholeness and pastor uh, I know I'm not pastor. He doesn't want to call pastor. Sorry. Anyway, um, Mark, Mark, when we did the communion, he said not just healing, but wholeness. And so I feel like that's a confirmation. I feel like, and I feel like everything that happened today, even in the worship, um, you know, there was a portal that opened and there was liquid love and there was glorious, I mean, um, waves of glory and healing that were released. And so I'm sharing with you that, you know, the Lord is releasing wholeness to his people and he wants all of us to be open to receive, to believe and to receive for wholeness not just a one-time healing or a one-time deliverance or a one-time provision, but all-inclusive. Uh, look up what the word wholeness means. And so I just want to release that over us, Jesus, uh, because his salvation is an all-inclusive uh, provision of all that we need, and he wants to give us wholeness. Sorry, sorry. I just find it really kind of like coincidental or just a God movement that these women are up here talking about healing. And yesterday I went to have one of those scans that women have to have, you know, after they reach a certain age. And the lady stopped in a couple of places and kind of focused there and took extra pictures. And um, of course, I'm a little bit shaken by that or not really shaken, but just a little concerned, hoping that it comes back with a good report and not a bad report. The enemy wants me to believe a bad report, and um, I'm not really going to go there. But um, I do, I can't make it Tuesday, but I would like for ladies to maybe pray for me today before we leave, just to believe and and for the wholeness that God's going to give me inside and out, not just in my body, but in my mind and in my heart and all those places where I've been um, affected by the enemy coming after my life as well from all the accidents and different things. So, And the ladies will certainly do that. And uh, that whole theme this morning is about resisting our enemies. 
Okay? When God's on the move, we will encounter opposition, we will encounter difficulty. Uh, and I am going to get to teach you a little bit, uh, but I do want, because uh, part of what we're looking at this morning is financial, I really want us to hear from Chris and Lisette. Uh, so come on up quickly, guys, and uh, uh, come and share with us some of what God has done in you and through you, uh, because it's got financial implications as well, doesn't it? So you go ahead. Well, it was two years ago, actually, when COVID was going on, when a lot of our worlds were upset that, you know, really I was on my back porch when God spoke very clearly, you know, as I was looking over just our house and we had been renovating it for three years and I was actually admiring the work and like sipping on a cup of coffee like I typically do. And I felt God just say, like, would you leave all this and follow me? And, you know, I kind of laughed about it. I was like, yeah, of course. But then it came again would you leave this and follow me? So it's like, oh, no, this is, <laughs> like, this, like, does that mean now? Like, does that mean, like, I don't even get to enjoy this house that we've just poured our heart into for three years? But that started this whole journey of us, you know, really pressing in to, to figure out what does that mean and what is the timing of these things. And as we began to explore that, it became very clear that God was inviting us to actually step out from under my job, which is something I had have my degrees in. I'd worked 14 years, you know, in this to grow within the organization. And that's where all of our provision came from. But we felt God was saying, like, would you trust me and actually give me your job? And I'm going to show you what's next, but not until you do that step. And so we did. We, we ended up, we felt like that was from God and we did. And we really had no idea where we would go. It was like, all right, God, wherever you would have us, then out of all the places in the world, he very quickly highlighted Myrtle Beach, and that probably would have been our last place that we would have thought we would have came. But we're like, okay, like we knew for sure God was saying here, and so that's all we had. Like we had that calling, but when we came here, you know, we really didn't know, does that mean we just need to get here, just get a roof over our head, just a bare minimum, just to get there quick, or do we need to like even just think more about what's the vision, what's the plan? And it was really cool because Mark and Jane, it's because we connected with them and being the good pastors that they are, you know, actually, you know, helped us pray and process. And in that time with them, we really got clarity of like, no, like we're not just to come here and rush this, but like we need to clarify what the vision is. And as we began to talk, we're like, you know what God has really put on our heart is to do ministry through our home, that our home is going to be bigger than just us. That it's going to be a place where people are welcome to explore faith and to even figure out what family is all about, to experience the love that God has intended for a family. And so that people, we want people to come for meals. We want people to actually be able to stay overnight for shorter stays, but also have people that are staying for more of a longer term, like maybe even for months, and, and just to have this home. And say, like, okay, well, what is that going to actually take? And as we began looking at our family size, and we had a girl living with us from Guatemala, we're like, it's going to be like a five-bedroom house at least. And so I, 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 to remember, I remind you guys, I don't have a job at this point. But still, we said that's the vision. We have a call. We have a location. We have a vision now. And we're going to move forward with that. And so we did. We started praying for that and looking for that. But as you know, the housing market this last year has been kind of crazy. And so to find a house that fits that bill is hard enough. But sure... Yeah, we couldn't even find four-bedroom houses. 
But it was three weeks before we were actually, we just picked a date. We said, we're going to move to Myrtle Beach April 1st. We're just going to do it, whether house or not. And it was three weeks before. There was still nothing. Winston was set to be born. And I get online, and I see this house for seven bedrooms. And it was actually priced for what, like, a four-bedroom house would be. And I'm like, okay, this is, like, too good to be true. And I'm like, I'm just going to get my name in the application, put it in. But as I'm doing that, it very quickly on those application forms, it's asking you, well, what's your monthly income? It's like, well, I don't have a job. <laughs> what I do have is I have a calling from God to Myrtle Beach. What I do have is a vision for what God has called us to, but that's it. And so, like, we really moved forward in that process, being like, all right, God. Uh, and so we submitted the application. We had some conversations. And sure enough, like, after negotiating with the property management company for a while, you know, it got to this Friday evening, and they're like, well, Chris, you know, we love that you've submitted this. We love that you want the house, but, you know, <laughs> we need to be able to see monthly income. It doesn't matter, you know, if you can pay several months in advance. And so by Monday, if you can't show that you have $1,500 monthly coming in, we're, we're going to have to move on. And, like, we really were just like, okay. We had, no, we had nothing, nothing in sight. And so we, we'd reached back out to Mark and Jane and just some other prayer warriors just saying, all right, God, like, we're certain of these two things. But actually, we're certain of a third thing through. If this is from you, you're going to provide. Yeah. And so we just kind of left it. And then here we get this text from Mark and Jane just saying, you know what? Like, we want to actually, we want a portion of that. And so in faith, as a church, we want to support you in $500 of that for this year. And, you know, like, we're a smaller church. Like, we, we don't have big budgets. But in faith, we're going to trust that God's going to somehow meet our needs as we're sowing into what you're doing. And sure enough, over that weekend, we had two other streams of income that just came in and you know, we got this this house. Now, no, you you can put the video on if you have that. Um, just see, just, and it's been so crazy for us just to see all of the ministry that has happened. Exactly what that vision was, that we've probably had over 200 people come through our house this summer, through hospitality, through dinners, through meals, through uh, emergency housing with the internationals that live here, and through having people stay for several months at a time over this year. There's been so many conversations that really just have exalted God and um, just the fulfillment of things that we could not have made possible on our own. But I just want to specifically just bless just the heart and the leadership of this church for not giving, you know, just flippantly, but giving out of faith to really just even looking at their budget and saying, you know what, like, like this doesn't make sense for us to give the amount that we're giving to you, but we're going to trust that God is going to meet our needs as we are sowing into kingdom work. And, and yeah, I just want to just even just bless that heritage and bless that just, just over this church and over everybody here. Because when we sow in faith, like there is a ripple effect. I mean, there's people that we don't even know that are going to come into our lives when we sow in faith. Like, we don't know where the, whose lives those finances are going to touch. And, um, and so, yeah, we just, we just want to bless you, Mark and Jane, just for the, just leading in that way and just how much of a blessing that has been for us. Thank you. And uh, we saw right from the start. Um, go ahead. Yeah. 
And I think just something really important for us as we even process, like especially as we looked at some of these pictures, you know, and like looked over the last year, we recently took some time to process like what God has been doing in this year and a half. And I mean, it's blown us away. Like it's blown our minds what what God is capable of <laughs> that like is just so far beyond what we could have even imagined. And yet like something that I think was, you know, something about being able to see pictures is that I think when we sow in faith, we often don't see the fruit of it. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, there's just like, that is faith. Like that is faith to, to do what we are called to do, to be obedient to what is clear in front of us without being able to see like tangibly <laughs> what it's doing, you know, and, and it's believing in it, believing in what we don't see, having the certainty of what we don't see. And so I think like that is really powerful, but it's hard, like that's what makes it so hard. Like that's what makes it so hard to step out in faith because you don't see it. And so I think like for us, we've been really privileged now, you know, a year and a half later to look back over some of these pictures and to just to see tangibly the fruit of what some of those steps produced. And so I think like really the call to us all is just that continued faith of just whatever it is, like whatever that step that God is calling you to do, to take action based off of the simplicity of God's faithfulness and God's power that by far exceeds what we can really imagine or, or do on our own. And so, I mean, it really was amazing, I think, for us, like in the, you know, right today we're sharing very specifically about the financial provision because that was the kind of a big, like, we were right at, you know, like we had everything in terms of like the faith that we were bringing to it, but then there was a very like tangible side of like, well, yeah, unless you can show on paper that you can pay, you know, it's like there's no money. And, and I mean, we, we had nothing. And so to have Catch the Fire be so like not only bold, <laughs> you know, I mean, for us, it kind of blew us away, like to just say like, we're gonna take a third of this. Like it was a third of the need that we had and then to have two other churches come along and just like say that so like just with that confidence that boosted us and so i think something that i hadn't realized until i was hearing this right now but but you don't know just how much you are affirming someone else's faith through your own faith and and i don't think that i had realized that you know but the truth is like we did get to share that a little bit with mark and jane of just how powerful and meaningful it was for them to affirm what God was doing in us. And so I think sometimes the faith steps that God is asking you to do is actually to affirm someone else in what they are doing. And again, like you don't know, like you don't know the, the kind of the ripple effect of just one one thing that is before you to do. And, and I think that's when you start to see the picture of like the more of us that are doing it, the bigger it gets. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of like the more the more you see. But Thank you both. Do you see, <laughs> this just so represents our heart for this church family. And it, it's not Chris and Lizette and the family alone at all. But every one of us is growing into a greater place. As soon as we met these two and their kids, we saw God was challenging them to step into something greater. Uh, and we wanted to be part of that. And we see the same with each of us in this group, in this family. God wants us to be stepping into something greater, and we want to facilitate that and make room for that in any way we can. So, yeah, thank you both. We love what God is doing. And uh, none of us knew what we were embarking on when you first walked in the door. But, hey, it's been good so far, and it's going to get better. There's more to come. Amen.
Amen. Thank you both. I wanted them to share this morning because in our journey through Nehemiah, we've got to uh, chapter 4 and chapter 5, and uh, it's all about dealing with the opposition, where you get to Friday and you need to show money by Monday and there isn't any. <laughs> you know, or, or you get to a situation where, where your health is, is in a place where you don't want it to be and you need to, others to gather around you and see something shift. <laughs> and God wants us to learn how to, um, how to resist our enemies and to deal with opposition. So it's important that we learn this. And I just want to give you just a couple of key points uh, out of the, what I had prepared. Actually, let me just tell you this. Next week, uh, by next Sunday, we'll have a youth team from Knoxville, Catch the Fire, visiting. Uh, some of you have met some of the folks from Knoxville, but their whole youth team are coming. There's going to be about 12 of them all together. Uh, Alex and Renee are kind of uh, steering the preparations for that, but they're actually going to be staying with Chris and Lizette and the family uh, in that big, wonderful house. <laughs> and so uh, it all fits together, doesn't it? And so uh, they're going to bring a blessing to us next week. We're going to pick up again on the whole idea of resisting our enemies in a couple of Sundays' time after they've been. But I want to focus this morning on the enemies that we face. And I want to say this. When we face opposition, we have to see that the opposition is not the human being in front of us. Very important that we catch that at the very beginning. If you're experiencing opposition, do not focus it on the human being in front of you, especially if it's your spouse. <laughs> that wasn't in my notes, but you know, that's a free one. <laughs> Don't focus on flesh and blood. Because Paul tells us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against spiritual forces behind the flesh and blood. Now, how many of us know we are all of us influenced by spiritual forces? Now, we've heard a lot of testimonies today about how God's Holy Spirit influences, leads, guides, trains us. That's the side we want to be focused to, but we need to be real. There's another side to this as well, and we need to be careful to be prepared to resist that. We live in hurricane country, don't we? We know that we have to prepare for hurricanes. We need to understand what we can understand about the hurricanes so that when it comes, we're ready to resist it by whatever means it is and then to deal with the consequences later if we have to. In the same way, we want to be aware of what the spiritual forces are behind the opposition that we often run into. So it may be that you've got a problem with your, with your boss at work. Well, the problem is not the boss. It's the spiritual forces that are at work that the boss may be being influenced by, or the company, or the, or the setting, or whatever. It might be your neighbors. Maybe there's something in your, in, your, in your street that you need to be aware of the spiritual forces behind it. I won't say any names on the recording, but some of you are smiling and laughing. <laughs> um, so we don't struggle against flesh and blood, but we do struggle against spiritual forces. I want you to see this in, in Nehemiah 4 and 5. The two enemies that are named in these two chapters are Sanballat and Tobiah. Now, Sanballat makes it very clear that he's a pagan because his name means that he worships the, the, the moon god. 
So he's very clearly pagan. It's easy to say, okay, somebody who doesn't believe in God and doesn't follow God is going to be influenced by the powers of darkness, and we need to be careful to resist the powers behind them while still loving the person who's made in the image of God. Sandballot's an easy one. Okay, we've got to love this guy as best we can, but we resist everything he represents because he's on the wrong team. But then there's this other guy, Tobiah. Tobiah means the Lord is good. Yeah, wait. This guy's an enemy and his name means the Lord is good. Yeah, because sometimes the surface, the, the appearance doesn't take account of what's behind them. It tells us he's, he's not a, a, a Jew, he's an Ammonite. Now, these are the people who worship Molech. They sacrifice babies to this god Molech because they're all, that's part of their culture as Ammonites. And so what we see is that, that Tobiah looks like he might be a good guy on the surface, but when you dig a little deeper, there's stuff in his background, in his heritage, that needs to be resisted. Sometimes those who oppose us sound spiritual, but they're not. And that same spiritual force of the Ammonites is very active in our world today. Uh, there's a lot of misinformation, a lot of twisting going on uh, in the recent Supreme Court decision in Dobbs versus Jackson. There's a lot of uh, publicity going on about the sacrifice of babies that is not true. And we need to have the wisdom to see behind it and to hear God's truth. I'm not here to preach about that, but I do want you to see that there's a spiritual reality behind what we face as opposition, behind some of the struggles that we identify with. Now, remember again, this is not about um, identifying individuals and resisting them. It's about seeing the forces in the background and making sure we deal with those. And the two demonic forces that I feel we need to take attention to... Uh, one this morning and one later on after the Knoxville team have been are uh, Mammon and Jezebel. These are two spiritual forces that we need to be aware of. And because Nehemiah's chapter looks at money, I want us to look at Mammon this morning. Okay, and that's why I asked Chris and Lizette to share, uh, because God wants us to enjoy victory in the financial realm. But Mammon is this evil entity that Nehemiah is opposing in chapter 4 and chapter 5, and it's the spiritual force behind materialism. It's the spiritual force behind the worship of possessions and the serving of wealth. And it's a very prevalent spiritual force, at least in Western society and in our American culture. Uh, it's a very strong but evil force. And Jesus names Mammon in, in Matthew 6, verse 24. He says... No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the other and despise the one. <laughs> In other words, you can't, you, you've got to choose. And he says you cannot serve God and mammon. You just can't do it. It's not possible. So what does it look like to serve mammon? Well, Paul warns Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, that it's the love of money or the love of mammon, same word, that is the root of all kinds of evil. So if my heart is drawn towards the mammon side of the equation, then I'm not going to be successful in loving God. But more importantly, I want to be drawn more into loving God so that mammon doesn't have a hold on me. Does that make sense? 
And so, just a few verses before that warning from Jesus in Matthew 6, he says this, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's important that we put those two things together because we need to talk about money. And we need to talk about how God designed us to interact with money. And Nehemiah warned his people that they should stay on guard uh, and that they should watch each other's backs because they're rebuilding the wall. Like we've said, God is doing all kinds of things in our church family and through us, and it's to do with building a safe place for people to be gathered into so they can encounter God and step into a deeper relationship with God to renew covenant with him. But the first issue that Nehemiah has to confront in that building process is the whole issue of finances and, uh, and mammon worship. <laughs> because in chapter 5, we see several things. Uh, and for the sake of time, I'm not reading them, so you're just going to have to trust me, but you can look it up uh, at home. There were difficult conditions generally. Everybody was struggling financially. People were struggling to afford food. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, this is 2022, isn't it? But this was Nehemiah. But also in chapter 5, some of the officials were charging interest to their brothers and sisters for money that they'd lent them or, or stuff that they'd lent them, and God had specifically forbidden that. So some of the, the leaders were acting in an ungodly way. But the godly leaders who were going to fix this issue were very different from the people who'd come before. They didn't demand their rights. They were content with what they had. They called out the wrongs, and the people responded with change. That's the very fast version, but I recommend you read it for yourself uh, so you see what God did. You see, mammon often very easily comes into focus when God is on the move. Uh, and it always comes into focus when, when money's tight when the economy's not doing well, like it isn't at the moment. Mammon always comes into focus because when your money's short, you're more likely to focus onto money. And it's a temptation that we all face. It's a temptation of mammon to focus on money when money is short. But when I focus on money, I start to grow my love of money more than I can grow my love for God. And I want to be sure that I'm aware of that because God's financial plan is very, very different. He wants to prosper us so that there's no lack in our lives. And so for us to resist and defeat mammon, we need to handle money and help each other handle money the way God designed us to handle money. And there's two keys to it, two promises if you like, because all of God's dealing with money is based on promise and blessing. Okay, don't ever let anybody tell you it's about whether you do the right thing with the last little bit. That was the mistake the Pharisees made. They, they got the money side of the equation right. They even tithe their herbs. Like, please. <laughs> you know, I mean, when you're taking a tenth of your, of your cooking herbs and giving that back to God so that I've checked the box and make everything right, that's completely the wrong heart because I'm taking it down to can I get all the little details fixed? Because Je Jesus actually condemned them because in the midst of all of that, they completely ignored God's promises about justice and mercy and righteousness. We want to focus on the promises and not on the detail. However, the, what we do with our money shows us whether we focused on the promises or not. And so... There are two promises, 
Um, and the first one we touched on last week when we talked about Abram winning a victory over God's enemies, if you remember, it was in Genesis 14. When Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, he was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So Melchizedek, the priest, comes out and he blesses Abram for winning this victory. And Abram, in response, gives him a tenth of all of the spoils, of the increase that had come from this victory. It's like, okay, the first tenth belongs to God because God is the one who gave me this blessing. And that's where the principle of the tithe, which means the first 10%, comes from. It's not a law thing. It's a heart response to God's blessing, God's protection, and God bringing us into victory. And so Hebrews 7 Verse 4 through verse 9 makes it very clear that this never started out as a command where God says, you've got to give me back a tenth, otherwise I'll smite you. On the, on the contrary, it's a sign of the promise of God. I want to bless you. I will bless you. And this is, if you like, my agreement with God's promises. This is where I, I come into the place where I say, I believe you, God, and I trust you, God. And it's a test, <laughs> simply a, a test. You know, God says in Malachi 3, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. So it's, if you like, the tithe... Sorry, I'm editing as I go here. But the tithe is the foundational principle for God's blessing. God blesses and I return the tithe. The tithe isn't mine. That first 10% is something I give back to God. I return it to God and I don't control it. But it's a test that allows God to open the windows of heaven and keep pouring out blessing to me. The analogy that came to me as I was preparing this is that I have a driver's license and I had to pass a test to get that driver's license. Until I pass the test, I'm not licensed to drive. It doesn't mean I can't drive, but it may mean that I get caught without a license. And in the same way, the tithe is me passing the test of saying everything I have is a gift from God. And now I'm entitled to drive with the rest of it and do whatever God tells me to do with it because I've passed that test. I, I have a license that says I've passed the test. I have a receipt that says my 10% went back to God. As I fulfill that requirement of recognizing God's blessing, then all the rest of it opens up for me and it becomes legal for me, if you like. But mammon loves to catch you with no license, because mammon hates you gaining your financial independence in that way. So mammon will always persuade us to hold on to the tithe or to control the tithe when God says, no, just put it back in the storehouse. Just put it back in the place where you're fed, uh, where you've been planted, where you belong. Put it back in there. Then all the rest of it is up to you and me. Let's have an adventure together. Let's have fun. But let's do that first. Get your license before you drive. 
And then the second test or the second challenge or the second opportunity comes in 2 Corinthians 9 where Paul takes everything up another level. <laughs> Paul is raised in the 10% club, right? Because he's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knows, the, he knows the system and he almost certainly made sure that all of his herbs were straight in his tithing before he got knocked off his donkey and met Jesus. Just want you to know who's writing this, okay? Because then he says something that doesn't sound at all picky. He says, the point is this. This is 2 Corinthians 9. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, <coughs> Excuse me, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. <laughs> That's pretty all-encompassing, isn't it? <laughs> so Paul takes it up a level. He said, yeah, yeah, remember the 10%, but let's do all this other generous abounding stuff because God's got far more than you could ever give away. And he's looking for people who are willing to be generously abundant in the same way as God is generously abundant so he can give you more. You know, if I want to distribute a large amount of money, I'm not going to be giving it to somebody who's counting every penny and making sure that they've done it all right because they're not going to have the right heart in giving it all away. I want to see people who are generous. Paul wants us to abound in every good work. We don't say much about this, but I felt like I should say it this morning. Um, Jane and I, about five years ago, gave an inheritance to Catch the Fire. It was a pretty big inheritance, and it was financially advantageous to do that. But we gave it all away. We laid a large sum of money at the apostles' feet, if you like, because that's what they did in the book of Acts, by the way. I skipped a, a reference. Let me go back and read that. Acts 4. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the leader's feet, the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Let me say one thing very briefly so you don't misunderstand. It's those who were owners of lands, plural, and houses, plural. Okay, this is not that you're supposed to sell your house because somebody else hasn't got one. God wants you to have a place to live. God wants you to have the basics, <laughs> all of us, okay? But where we have extra, where we have um, abundance, very often God will touch our hearts to do something generous for somebody else. And the way we do that is that we liquidate the money and we bring it in and we place it in the church family, the apostles' feet, the leaders' feet. So that's what Jane and I did. We gave this inheritance to our board who oversee us, and we laid it at their feet. And they instructed us to invest it so that we could maximize its, its value. Um, and then they granted us a small salary from that money. And so for the last five years, we have been living off of the inheritance that we gave to Catch the Fire. 
and our board have instructed us to do that. And it's made it possible for us to lead this church without putting any draw on the tithes and offerings so that we can do the generous things that we've been able to do, like you heard Chris and Lizette talking about. We've had the freedom to do that, and we'll continue to have the freedom to do that as God continues to bless us. We are very, very thankful for the privilege of being able to do that. We actually, we experience God making all grace abound because we have all sufficiency in all things at all times, and we are abounding in every good work. And we're very thankful for that five years, but that five years is coming to a close. And so now we're inviting everyone to be listening to God and to be doing their part for the future of our church family. We've heard from Chris and Lizette how generous we've been able to be as a church family. Uh, We've been able to have this building for the last two and a half years. Uh, Every bill paid right on time because of the generous giving of God's people. Uh, Now, uh, you heard Chris say, we don't have a big budget because we're only a small family. That's part of this process of building and gathering. God's got more people out there who need to be in here, joining in with our heart to see people blessed and to see our church family grow and flourish. Um, There's a, a human part to that where people bring their talents. There's a spiritual part to that where they bring their giftings. And there's a financial part to that where people bring their tithes and offerings. And as we put it all together, God multiplies what he can do. He's into abundance. He's into uh, making everything sufficient for every good work that he um, he has prepared for us. So we're building this spiritual wall, and there are these two principles. We return the tithe to God, which is like our driving license that frees us to do whatever God tells us to with the other 90%. And then we have generous, loving, um, abundant hearts that meet needs by bringing in whatever's needed for it to be dispersed in different ways. And many of you live that way, I know. So I'm not making any correction this morning, but I am saying that as we face opposition, we need to be aware of the power of mammon. He wants us to focus on money, but we want to focus on God. And the way to focus on God is to handle our finances the way God designed us to handle finances. Every one of us has a vital part to play in what God is doing. And that's with your time, with your energy, but also with all of us with our money. And so I want us to commit ourselves to God's financial plan. (laughs) Uh, We love declarations around here because it's something we can all agree together and say together that we remind ourselves of the principles that God has placed uh, at the heart of our ministry. Because God wants to continue to put his hand on all that we're doing. There's always more. We've heard a lot about it from different ones this morning where God has got more for all of us. So we're going to close our time together, and I apologize, I've gone a little over, but I didn't want to leave anything out of that because it's important you catch the whole of that picture. Um, But can we stand together, and could we put up that uh, declaration, please, Alex? And we'll say this together, and then I've got one more thing I want us to do before we leave. So this is our declaration. It focuses on God's blessing, okay? So, Father, you have purposed to make all grace abound to us so that we always have all sufficiency in all things. 
I agree with your purposes and willingly submit to your invitation to align my finances with your plans. My financial giving will start with returning the tithe to the storehouse where you've placed me and where you feed me. Next one. Thank you. In addition, in addition again, <laughs> I choose to be generous and give to meet the needs of others here, to sow bountifully, trusting that you will see to it that I reap bountifully. As I sow into the family that you are building with money, time, and energy, I ask you to strengthen the wall of love around us and lead us as we gather others who are seeking the values you've entrusted to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God is on the move, and we are part of it. And if any of that felt heavy to you, forgive me and come and talk to me.